Uh, welcome to the Love Sport Podcast. This is Paul, your host. Tonight, John and I are going to be talking about our favourite kind of sports people, athletes, commentators, etc. in sport. This is the Boston Red Sox crowd singing Sweet Caroline. We know a few clubs do it, but Boston have certainly made it one of their own. Good times never been so good, so good, so good, so good. This is the Love Sport Podcast. Handball inside was terrific. Yaren, Yaren, Yaren. Still Yaren. Cheeky little bounce. Oh, well done. Runs towards goal. It's a chance. It's as good as you'll ever see. And Corey, they're getting all the centre clearances. Carlo leading Hawkins to the ball, but not winning it. Motlop swimming. Oh, brilliantly done. Broadbent. Talk about the big steal. And then he tosses it up to Corey. Bartell. Bartell. Yes, Jimmy. McVeigh, busy early. Lead clever. Jenna could go all the way. <laughs> now he's going to stretch Brown. Bouncing around the goal. Bouncing. Usain Bolt. To another Love Sport podcast. I've got John with me. Um, hi, Paul. Having me. Hey, hey, mate. How's you? You've had a pretty good day, pretty good week? Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Um, I Actually, a funny story. I, um, I found out that um, Megan Markle's got um, miraculous powers. Some people claim it to be a saint. I can tell you this. Yesterday, I missed my first day in about six months at school. With um, I had an art Um But with her on TV all day, um, talk of Oprah, and I went nuts and made sure that I almost immediately because I never want to sit for another day like that. Yeah, so, um, she really is a saint, and, and no, we shouldn't, I, I won't be blasphemous like that, but uh, she certainly oh, puts a few things in perspective, I think. Um, she I got me up and made me walk, I can tell you. <laughs> Okay, there you go. Miracles do happen. I mean, um, yep. we thought tonight we'd talk about some of our favourite sports people, whether they're players, coaches, commentators. Um, just keep it really quite general and got me got me thinking, mate. And on the eve of, or not the eve, or recent announcement, Bruce McAvaney has retired from commentating sport. And I had to have him up there um, for his work on swimming in the Olympics and athletics and 
and obviously AFL and, and horse racing. I'm not sure if Australia's ever had a more rounded commentator. Whether you loved him or hated, he could he could do it all. I bet they have on the radio. I'd say on the radio they probably have. From as far as TV goes, you'd have to be uh, he'd have to be right up there. Uh, yeah. I oh, look. I don't love him. You know that. Um, I, everyone's got their their ways and means. I I, I always found him um, quite a drain. Yeah. Um, to listen to, um, and I didn't I didn't love the way that he commentated any of the sports. I thought it was a little bit too um, hypo sensitive. And uh, I don't like him at all. In fact, you know what? I can tell you, I was pleased he's gone. And that, I think in the last year or so, he, he'd lost it. I think he'd, he'd really start to lose it. And with COVID, he was doing his um, commentating um, from Adelaide. So he was really not – I don't think he was used to that not having the kind of banter and energy in a room. So when he was by himself, I thought he was really yeah. exposed. He's had a great career and he's um and he's done a lot and he certainly knows more about sport than he's than probably he's probably forgotten more than we'll learn. But all that for whatever it is, you you just can't like everyone. And for me, if I'm going to go TV commentators, uh, modern day guys, I'll go with Anthony Hudson. I quite like him. Um, I tell you who I was I was quite like Eddie on the radio, um, for three when mm. he's doing the three AW stuff. And um, my favourite. AFL commentators, without doubt, were Lou Richards and Peter Landy, the pair of them. Oh, really funny because Peter Landy, as a one-off, as a guy commentating by himself, couldn't stand him. You know, doing tennis or whatever yeah. he was doing. I was like, oh, man, that dude's so boring. But um, with Lou, he was just they were dynamite. One, one, it was like Laurel and Hardy. There's the super straight man and their colour man. And I thought they worked <laughs> perfectly on television. Well, Bruce McAvaney and Dennis Cometti did that really well together. I think when Dennis retired, Bruce lost a little bit of that. You know, the um, we've said it before, you know, Ellison to Brown to Charles to Dixon, they're going up the ground in alphabetical order. Dennis Cometti mm. could do them off the top of his head. No, you, you can't make that up when it's four people's names alphabetically, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, well, Dennis was, a, was, was, was certainly a legend. I didn't love Dennis by himself either. But, you know, in, in those teams, he was great. I liked Dennis a lot more than... Um, than McAvaney. They worked they worked really well together, those two, and now he's doing ads for something. I, I don't even know. It's probably something to do with prostate or you know, something exciting like that. Bowel movements, prostates, something that all gets twisted <laughs> at a certain level. Mate, your turn. Yep. You, you give us a uh, give us a sports person you've been thinking about. Well, if you want to go on commentators, it's funny because you know I'm much more of a radio guy than a TV person. Yeah. And there's definitely radio commentators and let's stick in Australian sport for a while. Ones that you know, they've come and gone and Sean Brightley, and, and and usually the key to the door in Australia is the ABC mm. radio corner test cricket, and, and 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 Jim's been there forever, and some good ones have been and gone. I love Tim Lane as a cricket commentator. Yes, uh, when I was younger, um, I absolutely loved him as a cricket commentator. Neville Oliver was good in that role. My favourite radio commentator ever in any sport was a duo. And the duo mm-hmm. was only together for a little while and they called rugby league. It was very much a Queensland thing. Um, and New South Wales, Peter Wilkins and um, Jerry Collins together called oh, rugby yes. league for one year. And they oh. were out of this world. I love Peter Wilkins, man. I put Peter Wilkins could be, and it's not, I, I don't want to sound like the guy who's into like alternative music and is trying to come up with stuff mm-hmm. that no one's heard of. But Peter Wilkins is still a pretty big deal, deal at ABC Sport. Yep. And he is a brilliant, a great football guy. He used to host, um, he hosted World Cups before even SBS got him. 
Yeah. Remember, he's always the young dude. You're right. You're and right. now he's so much so old, it's scary, but he's awesome, man. I loved him. He's a great commentator. Rugby league, first class. Mate, for me, um, uh, someone who I loved him because of what he meant early on, and then I started to hate him because of who he played, uh, coached and everything. But for someone who's done so many things, I think, I don't know if it's under the radar, but from a national point of view, it would, would be, and that's uh, Kevin Sheehy. Um, played a lot of games and premierships for Richmond, went on to coach Essendon in, in some of their glory period and the young young Bombers, um, you know, was instrumental in getting the, like the Indigenous round um, going and stuff like that. Looked at overseas countries before anyone thought of doing it. Um, having met him a few times, I absolutely love Kevin Sheedy. So we, are we, are we going to challenge ourselves and go outside of our clubs? And it's easy to go inside our clubs, isn't it? You've gone outside it. Well, you've gone inside and outside there with, well, with Sheeds, I suppose. I didn't know she is a, 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 from a Richmond perspective. Um, my first ever jumper um, when I was a baby, uh, I was a couple of days old, and I got a Richmond woolen jumper with number 10 on the back, which was Kevin Sheedy. My dad got me that to annoy my grandma, who hated him. So I didn't grow up with Kevin Sheedy. I didn't really know him. It was the end of his career. So I only got to know him, really, as a coach of Essendon. Um, so... I just think for, you know, the dream time at the G and all these different initiatives that he would have had to have really gone to bat for with the AFL uh, and the VFL at the time. I just think he's unbelievable. One of the greatest ambassadors the game's ever had. Yeah, he's an amazing guy. Um, he's, he's definitely a character. I love I, – I, look, we're going to talk about my favourite this or your favourite that tonight. Mm. I, I'm, I'm getting to a point in my life where I'm looking for um, – a level of respect with people who've done amazing things. And I don't really get, I, I, I try to, I, I do try to force myself to get away just from the the teams. Most of the teams are like, you know, are rubbish anyway, but to get <laughs> and see the stuff from a, from a, from a higher level. Yeah. And it's hard to do. So I really respect Sheeds and, and I love listening to those guys speak. Yeah. What can I tell him about AFL? And, and when you, so when it comes to that, what could I possibly tell him about team sport? Not very much. I still love Tom Hafey, man. Oh, and yeah. He when when I when I came to Australia as a kid, like um, you know, I was followed Newcastle and we'd see on seven Saturday AFL. Uh, because rugby league was always played on a Sunday. And so you get the, the sevens AFL on a Saturday and I watched that. I had no idea what was going on at the start. <laughs> Collingwood obviously playing in black and white stripes, and so I was immediately drawn to that. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hafey was just a man amongst he was a man amongst boys. And he was so awesome. I, I thought everything he was, I wanted to be something like that. And I didn't even know what it was that he was doing. Yeah. And every time he spoke, um, and, and I loved hearing him. I loved that I followed him as a person, you know, with the swans and, and all the things he did. I remember him jumping in the surf for 60 minutes and in and out of the surf. He was so fierce, so cut. He had that awesome body in those tight Adidas shirts with the sand oh, on yeah. I think. Yes, it was. And, yeah, what would one of those look like in the jersey collection, man? Just quietly. I don't. I actually think it would go absolutely <laughs> spot on. And yeah, I loved him, and I, I, I like those guys like that. I and I go back right to my naissance as a as a um as an AFL person, and it was back then because I really look. I've fallen in love with lots of sports, and I fell in love with AFL as a kid. Watching it, going, I love the crowds, and I loved all the paper on the ground, and. And the Maya signs, and I love, I could see the big crowds, and I really yeah. liked Collingwood. And the other guys that I really liked were um, 
in no particular order. I, I loved um, I loved Malcolm Blight, and I could still listen to him talk for hours on end about about AFL. He's a bit crazy. Oh but yeah, he's so he's... smart, and he's done so much, and he could do anything. Definitely, definitely had a definitely had um, a different way of thinking about things. Um, you know, coached Adelaide to two grand finals, and as a player, mate, I'll never forget. You would have seen highlights of that. It had to be eighty-five to ninety meter torpedo, the one he kicks. Um, oh to yeah, the game. there's never been a game. better, never been a longer kick than that that I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just and it, oh. and it wasn't the conditions perfect. No, the ball, the ball would have been heavy. It would have been used for the whole game. They didn't swap, uh, switch balls when uh, when something happened. It was the same ball used for the whole game. Heavy, heavy leather. Yeah, it went over at post height, didn't it? Yeah. That was um, I had a mate, a very good friend of mine, um, uh, David. When I was uh, when we were, um, you know, first out of school and at uni, and we and I hung around. I learned a lot from his dad. His dad was actually the high school um, principal of the school that Michael Voss came through at. And he was a big AFL, a big Essendon fan was um, Bob, named Bob Peacock, and um, and his dad and and his son David, who was my best friend, and we we got our hands on, amongst other things, a video called the Sensational Seventies. Oh yes, <laughs> what's that? Over and over again, it was like, you know, if you had a yeah, we'd have to sink maybe one or two beers and and sometimes a cigarette, and we'd watch that, and then Bob would come in and see it. He's like, hey, we're watching all those highlights of. You know the Battle of Windy Hill and 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 all that stuff, Ronnie Weirmouth, all that. That's, that yeah, stuff the, is magic, man. The electrifying eighties, the sensational seventies. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they were brilliant. It was so good. Wait, um, mm. to, Tommy Hafey actually, um, uh, so many things about him. You know, obviously coached four different teams and coached Richmond to four premierships. Got Collingwood really close as well. Uh, but he coached into state teams as well when it wasn't popular to coach other other teams. And you may have even. And I'm happy for anyone to correct me. He may have even coached, um, may have even coached the Queensland team at one stage. I, I vaguely re- remember that. But he played 67 games as well, and that's you know anyone playing any games at the, at the highest level. But the thing that people remembered about him as a coaching perspective, if he told you to get fit, he backed it up because he'd run um, 15 to 20 kilometres a day and be in the surf in any condition in any weather. He would be in that surf every day. I just love those. There's, there's not many men or women like that anymore, is there? No, nah, he's a man's man, man. He's always smiling for the camera too. He okay. had a he had a wonderful way of communicating with the fans. He didn't bag anyone. He, I, I I don't remember him bagging anyone or getting sacked, whatever. And he saw so many unlucky things that happened to him as a coach. But a standout thing for me was I distinctly remember him uh, when he was at the Swans. Being the first guy to say, uh, look, the rugby league guys can really tackle. Let's bring them in. Yep. You know, yes. I'm doing stuff like that. And I think in there you saw the – the look, I'm no aficionado. I, I think I, I can hold my own a conversation. But of course you can. I look at stuff like that and go, hey, you know what? There's the there's the birth of the Swans actually – now, I know that um, – I know that Barassi came in, who's another guy that I absolutely adore as well and love listening to, but he came in after. You know, that's the, the real – the birthing of the Swans actually creating their own identity, using what's around them. Coaches saying, "Bring everyone in, yeah. and uh, and we'll get better at that." And the Swans were a pretty tough tackling team for like 15, 20 years. Absolutely, they were. Yeah, uh, good, really good call that. Um, quite an innovator as well, and one of the first coaches who really believed that fitness was a key. Um, and I know that sounds really um, 
silly, but the BFL wasn't a professional league. You know, these guys had, you know, a couple of jobs, some of them, and uh, were smoking and drinking. And he was one of the first guys. He would drink a tea when the guys were drinking a beer. So that was just him. He lived everything that he uh, he espoused to others. And I absolutely adore that kind of person. Um, mm-hmm. Mate, you're up. You're up. Who could be Oh, a sorry. I've done it. Look, if we're going to move around the sports to stay in AFL, and I'll, I'll, I'll go from the past to the present to the well, I was living in the past now. I think we all live in the past a little bit when it comes to sport. Of course, we I don't do. have anyone who's playing or coaching now who I go, oh my god, I love that person. And I don't have that really in a lot of sports anymore. But my last true favourite player, favourite, an all-time favourite sports person. He, I, when we did that once before, I know he was in my top three, and it's Jason Akermanis. Oh, and yeah. I just I I I know that it's very easy for everyone to call him out, but I feel there's a guy there who is living the doctrine which is everyone's crying out for a personality. I'm aware of all the personalities yep. going on. And then and then when we get one we, we do whatever we can to run him out of the game. But to me he was absolutely like lightning in a bottle. But he was like lightning in a bottle and there's a lot of mercurial players that come and go like your Jeff Whites and and anyone else you want to name who who sort of burns brightly for a little while. I could burn bright for ten or twelve years. I mean he was he um he was every so season. And and he did it all unreversely and a genuine guy who could kick not the goals from in front and not the set shots, but could kick from on the run outside fifty on his left foot and kick a goal, look out. He 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 you're right, mate. He he was from a generation, and it's not that long ago really when we say a generation. He was from a generation though. I really enjoyed watching opposition plays at that point in time. And, and Brisbane could have any number of players. We could go on about so many of them. But the two that I really loved watching were Jonathan Brown and Jason Akermanis for totally different reasons. Um, but they were both courageous. I mean, you can't be Jason Akermanis' size and, you know, tried to be tagged out of every game, but just had the best motor. And, mate, I think, I think of that generation, I think he – I know people like Boss – courageous, but to me, Akamanis was the one I wanted to watch week in, week out. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, followed it, I followed the team and folded pretty closely, and there was five or six great players rotating for the midfield. I mean, yeah, so I remember right. when, uh, yeah. yeah, but I'll give you one that came in and out, and uh, and and I know that Lee Matthews was pretty upset when he left, was Jeff Headland, he come through, and yeah, and you know, and you and you play in Premiership, you leave off the um, yeah, you know, Buckley was there at the start, he didn't stay. At the start of that great generation of, I'm not including him with that, that lot, but you know they all had great traits, and 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 obviously Vossi was a leader of everybody. Yep. But Acker couldn't do that because um, because no. Acker polarized. You know what Acker did? He did stuff much like Vossi, and much like Nigel Lappin, and much like Simon Black, and much like Luke Power. Those five great players and five genuinely great players all at once. Um. But Acker was the X factor. Yep. Oh, that's if yep. I can describe it. Lightning in a bottle, all that sort of stuff. But the X factors generally don't do anything week after week and then do something once in a while. Yeah. Every week. Mate, and I'm, he was I'm consistently and... brilliant. Agreed. I'm going to go back and watch some highlights of him. I, I, I've watched him every year. And you're right. You've said in a previous podcast about his time at the Dogs and he was still playing good football at that point. Mate, I am going to be a bit selfish yeah, awesome. if we're staying on it. If we're going to stay on AFL, I'm going to be a bit selfish for a moment, and I will 
talk about my team for a moment because there are two players I can't split for my all-time favourites. It used to be Michael, well, it used to be Michael Roach when I was growing up. Disco Roach mm. about five hundred goals for us, but would take screamers. And was you know had a lot of hamstring injuries, but just it was one of those guys who played football with a smile on his face, and and I absolutely love that. Um, Matty Richardson for the obvious reasons, eight hundred goals, the most goals ever kicked at the MCG, and played in teams. And my dad and I have said this so often. He played in teams, some of them pretty good, but some of them horrendous. Where. He would literally, you know what it's like when you're at the game. Totally different to TV. He would mm. be 20 metres clear of his defender and they would put the ball at his feet or over his head by 10 metres. And I just think, imagine a guy like that who wasn't a great kick, but is just a superb athlete. I imagine that guy copping the, um, the Brisbane. I can imagine him, if he was playing at Brisbane, the, the, the kind of um, on the chest or, or just out in front of him, the kind of possessions he would have received. You know, and I think that guy could have kicked over a thousand goals. And he, well, I was there when we, I was there when um, the Lions beat Richmond that preliminary final yep. when they played that night. And I think Spud Frawley was your coach. If yep. I'm not wrong. Yes, he was. And that was the last finals that played him for quite a while. But um, he, he was good. The crowd as they do gave him a pretty hard time, but um, you know, he'd led them uh, pretty well that year and it didn't work out that night. Like, I don't think anybody knew the quality of the team they were playing that night at Brisbane, really. Nah. I mean, I didn't go into the game with huge expectations of us winning, but I didn't expect the Lions to do what they did to us that, that year. And, um, you know, Matty Richardson, I think, you know, he made a Brownlow run in his last season and it did, I think he only lost by two or three votes. But he was – that year, people were willing him on to win the Brownlow. And it's it, a player that transcends – we were talking about that before – transcends so many other teams and and he was friends with so many players from other teams. I think that says a hell of a lot. Yeah, he seems like a pretty nice bloke and the other thing is, I mean, if he ever wants to pretend to be Damien Fleming on the radio, he can do it pretty easy. (laughs) Mate, I I know this player you're going to hate when I say this, but someone who is so far under the radar in terms of wanting to be in the spotlight, yes, he's on commercials and everything, but he really is. I know this is the most basic one of people going to call me bandwagon, but I've tried hard to stay off this one. But the stuff Dusty's doing at the moment, I don't know if we're going to see it for many, many years. He's doing stuff that a lot of other players just can't even dream of right now. Especially I wish he played for us. Oh. Why would you feel bad about that? I mean, he's, he's, he, he's, he's taken you to the promised land. That, let's be honest, like six years ago, when you were in one of those five-year plan scenarios, with your previous coaching staffs, you're never going to look at. And I think he's been the best performed. Oh, look, I talk about a great Brisbane Lions team that I support, and we've seen great Geelong teams come and go, and we've seen great Hawthorne dynasty come and go. And, I, you know, it's pretty easy to mount a case that Richmond are going to be the greatest team of all time coming through. But they wouldn't have won a squat without him. Three Norm Smith medals says a lot. I mean, in a, in a pretty oh, dominant Brownlow as well. So. Bounce across the whole field is probably those at least two of those three teams. Yeah. But I think what you've got is you've got the best finals, and I mean finals play the best. There's a lot of pedigree around, man. But that guy single-handedly picks his team up and has won games on his own over and over and over again. He's the best, fi- the best finals player ever. When when the Lions were big, our big um. Our, our big Mr. September guy was Clark Keating, remember? Yes, he was. Yep. 
Okay. Uh, it was not that he had a huge impact. But it's not the same. Let's be real. I just think that, um, you know, I, I won't talk about him much more because I really will be dominating. But um, to see him come back this preseason even fitter and, and looking more muscular, the guy wants to continue to win. That's it's just scary I, when you've had that success and you can and you want to win more. He's a quote, one of the closest things with. I, 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 if I compare him to Tom Brady, I'm being a bit silly, but he's kind of got that mentality. If you know what I mean, like yeah, yeah I've won stuff, but I'm going to win more. That and and you correct me if I'm wrong, but he's channeled that in a really positive way. Where he started off his career, and everyone may or may not know the issues of his dad. Yeah. There's every chance that he could have been a real bad news kind of guy. He's worked so hard on that, on his image. And I and I think he projects a fantastic image for the AFL and for Richmond. Real positive. You don't hear about Dustin Martin getting in much trouble. Well, someone might bring up a chopstick story from about three years ago, and uh, that wasn't quite savoury. But um, he'll drink hard. He's um, post-season, and he's you know friends with a lot of uh, Dane Swan. He obviously has met stars from other sports, NBA. Uh, Serena Williams, the famous, when she invited him onto his yacht for a few days. He just seems. I don't care if he plays. I don't care if he plays as long as he doesn't play the way Ben Cousins did, off the field. Yep. Good on him. I'm entitled to have it. There's no one said going out and drinking with your mates and even drinking all night was illegal in Australia. You can do it. Oh no, no. But what I I suppose my point there was, it's his decision, not coaches or anything. But come the season start, he won't. It's his decision that while he's playing, he doesn't drink throughout the season, or he rarely drinks, and it's just his choice. And he's really into his yoga and all this kind of stuff. I just, I don't know. I think, I think he's become a really good role model from exactly what you said. What could have been really difficult times, mate. I'm going to go a tiny bit sideways and then bring you in for a couple here. When I was looking at sports people and 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 you know commentators and all that, something that kind of just clicked as well this afternoon. I was thinking about sporting crowds, and you know, one of the things, one of the greatest moments of my life is getting to see football in South America. And I did get to see Boca and River Plate and a few other smaller teams, San Lorenzo. And those Argentinian football crowds, I don't care what anyone Mm. says, I've never, ever heard. And, mate, you and I have watched a lot of football, but I've never heard the noise I've heard at South American football games anywhere in the world. I've read read about La Bombonera and I've read only amazing things about it. And it's definitely my bucket list of places to go. I'd love to go and see Boca at La Bombonera and I'd love to – I'd love to go and watch um, the Argentinian boomers play rugby oh, in Argentina because yeah. they're, they're such passionate people. The passion just comes out of every pore in their body. And I think you've made it a brilliant call. I, I think Argentinian, Argentinian crowds are – see, I, we love World Cups, don't we, right? Yeah, of course. So you get to a World Cup, what's the team you want to be hanging around <laughs> for the crowd, for the, for the fun of it, is them. Yeah, you know, Argentina with the crowd is just, they're so awesome. I love them. I, just, I, I love their whole vibe of their sport. Same here. And I just, I was just coming a bit sideways on that one, mate. And, uh, you know, so I haven't seen as much American football overseas as you. I saw a couple games, but um, I've seen a few games. I've been to a Super Bowl in New Orleans, but that, that was no real home. It's, it's hard to explain that college football is so much, to me, college football is much more passionate than NFL. Week in, week out. It's just me. I know that might sound wrong, but the college people, there's 
you know, uh, alumni that are current. There's, you know, people have been there before. And the college football scene, mate, you can have 100,000 in a game and you can have 35,000 outside the stadium. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever experienced anything like that either. You can have them. And they stay outside the stadium for a reason, Paul. <laughs> because, because college football compared to the NFL is crap. Oh, and I'm, I'm, he's playing, you're playing for two or three big games a year. Yep. And that's why, I, look, I get the crowd experience of the tailgating and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I think if you're looking for passion in NFL crowds, you've you got to look in the right places. Uh, you go to a place like Seattle or ah. Green Bay or Chicago or, or uh, mate, what do you reckon it would have been like in Cleveland this year oh. when they went and, you know, when they were beating um, Pittsburgh? Mate, that would have been out of this world. You would not have been able to hear. And the players would not the, – the Pittsburgh players would not have been able to hear one call. There's no way they could have no, been able And you've got Buffalo and you've got Dallas and you've yep. got the amazing – I mean, sure, if you're going to say, well, let's go to Houston, like, well, why would you? Yeah. But, you know, I think that, you know, um, domes are a contributing factor to that. I think that NFL played outside is great, but then – even in the division that I follow, it's close to my heart, the NFC North, Minnesota play indoors, and their crowds are nuts. Yeah, mate. I, look, it, I've actually been to a Seahawks game, um, and yeah. we were near the Eagles' nest, and uh, sorry, Eagles' nest, the Hawks' nest, sorry. And that was the, one of the coldest grounds I've ever been to in my life. I, I tried to enjoy mm. it, but I literally, I wasn't prepared for the cold I received, and so I probably didn't enjoy right. it as much. But um, it was it was an Fair amazing enough. atmosphere. You couldn't hear yourself yeah. talk. So awesome. I do I do get that there, um, mate. I went to a San Francisco Giants game on a Tuesday night, and they were playing um, LA. I know it's a different sport, baseball, but they played the LA Dodgers, and, and you know the history between the two clubs. They're not actually that far apart from LA to yeah, San and start up in New York. Okay, sorry, I didn't quite hear that bit. They start up in Chicago and New York, both of those teams. The Giants, start, yeah, the Giants started in New York. They were the Brooklyn Giants. Yeah, so the, and, and so the so, Dodgers. So the Dodgers. Oh, Brooklyn Dodgers, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. So both of yeah. them started there. And they hate each other. But, oh, my God, the atmosphere. And I was talking about cold. It was an afternoon game that went into the evening. So it was about probably 26, 27 degrees our temperature. And by the time mm-hmm. the game finished, it was three or four degrees, the, the cold wind coming off the bay. But that was that was an amazing crowd atmosphere as well, and you can actually drink on the train on game day, mm. so you can take your yeah. own six pack on, and you, and people go, oh yeah. But the crowd was really well behaved, and I think it's because you're allowed to drink on the train. You can have a couple of drinks before you get in, you know that kind of thing. So people didn't. I don't think people took it when I say took advantage of it. They didn't go over the top. Well, yeah, and uh, you're talking there about uh, San Francisco and on the bay and. And, and how the Giants have been able to stay there and, and have that atmosphere in San Francisco itself. Yeah. I mean, how far out of town is the stadium? Uh, 15 minutes. Because I think something that, you you know, you're hitting on something that's really important here as sport around the world is that getting bigger and better is not necessarily better because, like, if you if, – if you, I think if, if you ask people, right, yep. who – not necessarily the people that go to every game, but who watch it, want an experience and all that, if you are a 49ers fan 
and you'd rather go and say, you know what, I'm going to go to Candlestick, where all the history is, or I'm going to go out to the um, to the to the complete end of the world, Santa Santa Clara Stadium, a half, one and a half million kilometers from the city, and 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 be in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, like where would you rather go? Yeah, absolutely agree with you. I mean, that's that's one of the advantages in some ways, even though they've rationalised with the AFL, where you're you're in the in, in Melbourne, you're in the middle of the city, and you can walk to the MCG in Adelaide. You literally walk across a bridge from the city to Adelaide Oval. Um, I haven't been to Perth's new stadium, um, so I'm not sure what that experience is. The Gabba's going to get so much better when that Cross River Rail happens because it, it is a bit of a pain in the butt, isn't it, for some people? Because it's not right in the city. It's hard to get by to by rail, yeah, and there's no parking anywhere. No, so it is. I mean, you and I love that stadium, but but once they get that Cross River, I think that's going to change that stadium forever. See a couple of things there. Let's let's go back to that because we have a bit of a random discussion, but you know, touching on things that's important, right? Like if I look at the clubs I go for, I don't want them to move. I don't want them to move out of the town where they play. No. So if I was a fan of the footy, I don't I never understood how in San Francisco and Oakland there was two teams about five years ago, right? Yep. And and they play in a different conference. How they couldn't get their heads together and say, let's build one stadium here, yeah. either you know that we can both use and and use the bay and and all that. And I get it, okay, whatever, but just to lose that history in five years in the NFL, and I don't understand how it was that even the 49ers, if they if they own Candlestick, I don't know if they did or didn't, but how they could say they couldn't come up with the money to keep it there, knock it over and rebuild, like in town. Yeah. So that's a rant that I, I don't necessarily have to have because I couldn't give a rat about the 49ers, no. but... The owners are. I'd like to have gone to Candlestick Park. That's for sure. Well, the owners basically didn't have to pay anything for a stadium they now own, and the revenue just keeps pouring in, as you know, with the NFL right now. And so, the well, dis- don't you think you're don't you don't you think that the soul of a club is contained a lot of the time in the ground that it's at? One hundred and fifty-seven percent, and it's one of the it's one of the points of contention that you you know moving. I think I've told you this a million times. On Saturdays when I grew up in, in Melbourne, everyone would come into the city. Everyone would be wearing all the team's colours from the VFL. And then you'd head off. So someone would go to Optus Oval, which was Princess Park. Someone would go to Victoria Park. Your mates would head off to Glen Ferry. Um, others would go, you know, to... You know what I'm saying? What they, they, Windy Hill. Yeah. They'd all, and then you'd come back after the game and you'd all be catching up. That's gone forever. And, and so I totally agree. Right. Look at the EPL now, mate. You know, Arsenal's gone from what, where are they playing now? I don't even know what it's called. You got Tottenham at London Stadium. Um, you've a lot of clubs, West Ham, Tottenham, all those clubs. They've lost their home ground forever. Yeah. Um, and the irony is they haven't had a crowd for a year and a half in these in these amazing new stadiums. Uh, yeah. You know, my club's lucky enough to own. And and the owner that bought us has been lucky enough to own one of the greatest grounds in in Europe. Yep. Um, he hasn't put a cent into it in the last thirteen or fourteen years, exactly as it was when he bought it. It's in the centre of town. <laughs> it's like you know, Goodison's going, and that's a shame. Goodison yep. and Anfield. I don't understand. I get why you want to move. Yep. For the you know for um for corporate they always say corporate boxes. Hey, I was like what. 
like what club ever based its its passion and soul on corporate suites? If you do that, you sell your soul out. You've got to have your fans in the stand watching you outside, not sipping on Chardonnays and, and eating spring rolls. It's bullshit. Like, and it's becoming more anyway. like, it's becoming more and more like that. I mean, you know, we know that Alan Road, Sean, our friend of the pod, who's been on here many times, um, we won't talk about the surface, but the ground has history. Um, York, at, <laughs> York at Villa Park, I absolutely adore Villa Park. When they did it up, they still kept the stained glass windows that have been there for, you know, 100 years. Um, I, I love that. One of the biggest reasons, you said it earlier on, one of the biggest reasons that we follow sport is everything, even right now, is going to be history. You know, we look back and we laugh at, you know, the Brisbane Roar coming back from 2-0 down against Central Coast Mariners in that grand final. They're the kind of moments you're never, ever, ever going to forget. You know what I mean? And yeah. the smell of the ground, the taste. I mean, you're great. One of your great managers, he said it much better than I ever would. Um, you know, it, it, I don't know right now, but you know the one where he says it's the, the little boy who grabs his dad's hand and they walk up the terrace for the first time and, you know, I've got. I'm not doing justice to his words, but you could not have. You couldn't put it any better than he did. Uh, we'll put that up on the podcast. You, you'd know the quote. No, he's so Bobby's spot on. Yeah, it's the one that Sean likes to reference a lot, and he's it's right. So, um, anyway, yeah, I guess that's probably a, we 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 ducked in that rabbit hole enough, and 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 I'm and I and I'm happy that if people don't agree with me, I'm cool with that. Like, you want to have a big new stadium. I, I'll give you an example of a club that had a, a ground that wasn't great, but had a, a truckload of history at it, and they moved, and they haven't been anything like what they were, and that's Sunderland. And they've got a great ground. Yep. They've got one of the best grounds in, in, in England, Stave of Light. It's got another name at the times. Um, most of the time they've been there, they've never done that. They've never played great at that, that, that place, but they were mighty hard to beat at Roker Park. Yeah, it's a great call. It's a, it's a great call. Um, mate, I'm going to go to a person who wasn't the greatest, um, but to me was one of the most exciting, and I've brought him up time and time again. Um, and I've been kind of searching for someone like this again, and I don't, don't think we'll get it. But Ayrton Senna, because he was just cool. He was good-looking. He was fast driver. He was Brazilian. He was colourful. I just loved Ayrton Senna, man. I, to this day, I've never followed the sport as much as I did when he was around. Yeah, he's a legend. Absolutely, he was the yeah, he was he was great. And and motorsport just, I mean, let's be real. We talked about this too. And Formula One these days. I mean, why would you get up and watch it? We're on a different time zone. The 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 Grand Prix are held in places you don't know. Any the tracks are new. It's all money, 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 and it's it's pretty boring really, and nothing really happens. But it certainly did back then. There was always stuff happening in Formula One. And the personalities were way bigger than they are today. Absolutely. And the, uh, the, the, the actual um, the hatred and respect they had for each other was real. It was real. It wasn't manufactured. These guys hated each other and respected each other. We've said that about the movie Rush before. Um, yeah. Well, everyone's walking around these days patting themselves on the back saying, you know, you've got the most, um, you've got the most um, GoFundMe pages than, uh, of anyone else. Yeah. It's like... Seriously, like I don't really care about any of that anymore. Pardon me, that stuff anymore. I don't really care where a Formula One driver stands on LGBTIQ plus issues. No. 
I just wanted to jump in the car and drive it. Yeah, no. And if you can't do it, then, you know, do something else. And if you can, take your money and be happy. I, I think that that classic example of the sport where the personalities have gotten so, so mid-range and so boring and so lo-fi that I actually reckon it's completely killing the image of the sport. I can't imagine why anyone would want to go and watch it. No, no. I mean, I, I grew up with motorsport. My uncle, Mike, who's um, passed only a few years ago. Hi, Annie Jill. And, uh, but my uncle, Mike, used to take me all over Victoria to watch motor racing and I'd go and watch um, Sandown has a, a horse racing track, but it also has a car racing track there. And so my uncle would take me in. I fell in love with motorsports, you know, barely knowing what was happening. They were just zipping past me, but it was a smell and I just loved it, man. So you're up, buddy. Yeah. I think it's awesome. I mean, I, I look on that note, I, I'll go with McDoon. I thought he was awesome. Oh, yeah. Just absolutely brilliant. I hung on the end of my seat with everything he did for so long, come back from injury. He's a local. He lives in the Gold Coast. I've seen him around the place a few times. And um, it's arguable that he's certainly in the um, the absolute maybe top five to ten of sports people. And I'm saying sports people, not sports men. Yeah, I know. All yeah. women, sports people that shows have produced. Um, so, and you know, such a unassuming guy, and he was so good at what he did, and you know, he was like, yeah, and 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 Formula One motorcycling is to me just got the edge on Formula One cars because they do take each other on physically yeah. and mentally. All the time. No, it is. It's still a great sport to watch, um, mate. I'm. This one is a very easy one for you. Um, I'm not talking about personalities or infidelities or anything like that. I'm talking about a guy who dominated a sport like we have rarely ever seen. And I don't want to talk about records and all that. I want to talk about when someone was winning, no one even got close to him, mate. And that was Tiger Woods in his prime. He didn't just win. He was playing a different sport to the rest of the field. Um, just... You know, I'm not talking about liking him as a person. I don't know him. But as a golfer, my God, I would watch golf when Tiger was playing. No, oh, yeah, he was the, you know, he, he's certainly the best of the current generation. I'll leave it to others to decide who's the best golfer of all time because it's measured in majors and stuff like that. And I always watch the Masters. I I watch the British Open, but, you know, you know who's in there. I don't think, sitting around thinking about golf all the time. But, um, yeah, obviously it hasn't been the same since Tiger's been – since he had his uh, infidelity issues. That's what they were. And, you know, he, he really struggled to come back from that. I think, like a lot of people, there was a there was a public image painted for him and that everyone knows that underneath that something different was going on. Yeah, absolutely. Once you're exposed as being not authentic, I think it's very difficult to reclaim your personality. And that's why – yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. So he lost his mojo, didn't he? Because he was – I think I don't think it was the being busted part that probably got to him, and we're just having a conversation. I mean, yeah. I mean, I could get torn up for this, but I don't think it was being busted that really hurt him. I think it was the fact that um, he was exposed as being inauthentic. I think I don't really think it had to do with the infidelity. It was what upset him. It was the fact that everybody out there realised that the bill of goods they'd been sold on the guy wasn't who he was. But I think if they had known that he was that guy, like people used to be, right? It's like, oh, everyone knew a womanizer or a playboy or whatever, and he played his whole career like that, then I think he would have won a million um, majors. I mean, obviously, back in... Because he never would have got 
We've been like warning, let's just keep going. Obviously, you know, back in the injuries also played a major part. But I, I think what you've said, not not many people, well, not as many people, touch on that as being a reason for, um, you know, him him going aside, falling aside a bit. But just when he was in his prime, mate, I, I don't I don't know many people in the world that you can say one name. If I said one, you know, if you say one name, he's got to be one of the only people in the world you can say one name and know. If someone goes Tiger, everyone knows you're talking about Tiger Woods. True, but we don't spend much time in um, Liberia. That's true. Maybe for a reason. I'm not sure. And to any Liberian listeners, <laughs> heads up. Thank, thanks for joining thanks for joining us. us. Um, you can tell us about the wonders of Liberia and educators. We're happy for you to do that. Mate, you're up. Give us a, give us a bit of a yell there. Um. Well, I'm not sure how long we're going to go for, so I'm trying to figure out like who I want to put in what order. So I think if I'm, I'm going to go right near the top. Um, who's your favourite and and what they are? We talk about Maradona all the time. It's easy to go to Maradona. I don't want to necessarily go to him. Can we disagree? We can agree on Maradona just being one of our favourites of any time of any sport. I mean, you and I have said it this on a million times on a podcast. My God, yeah. we love it. <laughs> Thank you. It's been mentioned on every podcast we've done, either in this version of it or the one we did seven years ago, um, because he is such a an incredible character. It's easy to say, but there is no one like no. him anymore in world sport. Uh, you talk about look. I think I think, and this is part of the, look. I love American sports. Don't get me wrong. I get their marketing programs and yada yada yada. Oh my God, I Tiger Woods this and Michael Jordan that and all the rest of it. Football's the biggest sport in most countries in the world, apart from America, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, right? And even arguably there, you know, oh, participation-wise, they're right up there, aren't they? Like in America, you'd be shocked at how many kids play uh, football. Yeah, but it's not their no. number one sport as far as TV and no. eyes on screens and stuff like that. Right. Whereas everywhere else. I think you'd be amazed. I reckon, I reckon Maradona would have all those guys covered with um, recognition. Everyone always goes Tiger Woods. Oh yeah, everyone, like I'm telling you, I reckon Maradona. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I think Jordan would be. I think Jordan would be right there with Maradona around the world. He he is one of the the rare American sports people who cut through on the same boat. I reckon Jordan would be almost right there around the world. I reckon if you went to any country yeah. in the world, you're going to see Jordan shirts. You're going to see Jordan shoes. His shoes are still the number one selling shoe in the world. You know that, right? The Air Jordan range is that. Yeah, I don't really think I do that much. I've got a pair of hush puppies and some ASICs. Well, mate, mate. I, and I, I wear a pair of docks for all the time in school. So we're looking like dinosaurs, oh, yeah? Mate, we are. Mate, do you know how many pairs of Jordans I've owned in my life? You might, uh, might one? own one pair. I've, I, I owned them probably right. when I was a teenager, and, and that was um, mum busted her ass working multiple shifts to get my brother and I a pair of Jordans. And that, you know, thank you, mum, because honestly, I know how hard you worked for those. But they've never really captured my... I bought a pair for both, my, both of my younger brothers for Christmas one year when I was, when I was at uni. Um, and I had a part-time job over Christmas and I bought them both a pair. I never owned a set myself. I myself preferred a pair of Reeboks at that yeah, time. Well, oh, my God. We're going to have to do a... Uh, we're going to have to do a podcast on our favourite sporting apparel. Mate, um... I was listening to metal, so you had to have some, man. So I had a pair of Reebok pumps. So did I. I had a pair of Reebok pumps. So, but my, yours would have been um, ankle ankle height. Mine were just kind of the tennis ones. You know those? I'm not sure if you remember those, but I had, yeah. I had the tennis ones, mate. I do. Um, 
But yeah, I did, you know, I'm more of a, I don't know about you now, we'll do a special on it, but I wear stuff like, um, I find shoes that match the teams I follow because I'm a really sad old man. Right. Really do a special matter is that just one of those things like uh, that special like who's going to wait no. for that like uh, our shoe matching sommelier type discussion be awesome uh, we can we can we but can do what we want and if uh, the seven listeners who who decide not to listen that day they can always decide to come on and tell us about their apparel um mate look this <laughs> we could talk about a million people that other people want to talk about obviously you know we just brought up about Michael Jordan. Everyone knows how great he is. The documentary is one of the greatest I've ever seen. But I'm going to go. I'm going to go personally with a player who kept my hopes up uh, forever. And I just bought his jersey again the other week, mate. I, I took your advice. I went the Rebel. Uh, we don't get sponsored by Rebel, and I went and bought a Dan Marino um, throwback jersey. Uh, I've owned a few, but I just needed a new one. And on the Aren't they that the particular ones they brought out? They're thicker. Um, they they're very hot, mate. I can tell you what. I wore one. I wore my merino one the other day, and my mm. god, is it a hot bit bit of material? I don't know how they played in those, mate. <laughs> but I love him. I, I love him. <laughs> I think that's a good call. Yeah, that's a good call, and I and I, and I did like him. And I and I, I'm I'm starting to think real hard now, and um, I, I want to. I know that we did a special a couple of weeks ago on. Chris Wesley, yeah. a great podcaster who passed on. I want to stay in a land of living. And and favourite sports personalities? Yeah, we've spoken before. We're on a podcast medium and I've got to rate the I've got to rate the medium and, and the people who are good at it. And I want to give a shout out. One of my favourite sports people is a oh, guy called Dave Damashek. I had him down. I had Dave down. Yes. <laughs> you know, I love Dave. He's just a uh, – you know, he's he's – and you know this, and and, and I, like, I I mentioned the word authentic, and I'm trying, I try really hard when we talk to be authentic, and it's hard because you hear so many opinions and things, and you you don't want to sound like you're a twit because you get upset with this or you you don't like that person. Oh, yeah, to be course. honest, um, I I love his honesty, and and I and I think he's been incredibly funny, and he's bought a lot of stuff, made me think about a lot of stuff that I never thought about, like um. The order in which I prefer mustard or yeah or tomato sauce yeah. or barbecue sauce, and 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 it sounds really crappy, but you get into the moment and and you can have some great times. And uh, my kids, we're growing up with this guy now, have grown up with him for like the last nine or so years. In the car, I can sing his stupid songs that he came <laughs> up with. Now, I'll admit, after you know six or seven years, I felt that I'd heard a lot of the gags before because these guys have got to come up with. We spoke off air a couple of weeks ago about the incredible amount of material they have to cycle through when yep. there's nothing to talk about because yep. the footy's over. And a true showman, um, the guy's a true showman. He could pad out an hour and not be – he'd make you laugh all the time. And um, and But also, he knew what he's talking about. And so I take my hat off to Dave and I want to I, I want to call him um, – I want to put him in the top shelf of my land of the living. I'll leave the the people who passed on. We've spoken about them enough. I want to move into the future. And I'm happy that Dave's got a bunch of podcasts back out. If you haven't learned him, go and Google Damashek and listen um, in because he's and so he, funny. He's just got a really fantastic rapport. He brings players through uh, – or not players. He brings other commentators through. He, it's not – 
he's just not jealous, is he? He, he, he lets other people have the limelight. Um, Sheck's got his own personality. He let the he let the around podcast be big, way bigger than yeah. his own, and that I think at the end of the day, I think that's why he, he moved on because he also started off the move the sticks guys, and he started off. Um, I know he brought Steve Smith into broadcasting, and also um, who was it? Uh, what's his name? Um, the um the Jaguars running back. Yes, Maurice Jones Drew ended up commentating a fair bit and all that, and I know that he had a lot to say about. Dave Damashek and uh, when he when he left and um, the NFL and yeah, he's an amazing guy and you got to love people like that. It's about, and, and bring it's a Hank on the show, you know, you bring on a you bring on a, a Brit who you know a lot of Americans would have been oh why would you bring on this guy? But Hank was fantastic. I loved having him on the show as well. So yeah, Dave Damashek was on my list, mate. I um I've got to say right now we know someone's passed and we've spoken about that. I'm really struggling to listen to NFL shows at the moment. I'm finding um, – had my stepson in the car the other day and he has to suffer through my podcast because I'm driving him. I'm putting my podcast on. I know that's a bit selfish, but that's the way it works, right? And um, we were listening the mm-hmm. other day and I said, to him, what do you think? He goes, oh, it's, it's interesting. You know, I'm not really – he, he loves going to sport, but he's not into sport. Like he won't go and – he doesn't care about stats or anything. He'll just watch a game when it's on. And I said to him, what do you think? And he goes – I think they all sound the same and bloody spot on. They do. I'm really starting to lose. And Mm. I said to him, do you find some of the voices annoying? And on some of the podcasts I'm listening to, I'm really, really struggling to listen to a lot of my podcasts now, mate. I can barely listen to any of the British podcasts uh, for football. The only time I will now is if Mm. my team wins. I just want to hear a little bit of Villa talk. But there used to be times where I would not miss an NFL podcast or I wouldn't miss a football podcast right now. I think they're in a bit of the doldrums. It's just me, mate. I, I listen to 30 or 40 podcasts a week and I'm really struggling. Maybe it's the, I need to find something different, you know, true crime or something. Yeah, no, you're wrong. I'm very flat and I don't know whether it's got something to do with COVID and stuff or stuff like that. But for me, my general malaise is I start to, I, I, I spend so much time being in this. I, I, I got to check myself and go, you know, why am I wasting so much time on this stuff when I'm, I'm I'm not enjoying it, so I actually switched off a couple yep. of weeks ago. Uh, after, well, you know, I pretty much my cut my content down to absolutely nothing when the Packers got beaten, and that that's that's my general reaction is if 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 my team goes out or say worst comes to worst, like when we get relegated in a couple of weeks' time, which I can see is definitely going to happen in Newcastle. Um, you know, I I tend to not want to listen to people tell yep. me all about how bad it was, right? And then I can't really get ex- excited about other people's success or failure. I just need space. And I'm very much, it's the longest space I've been searching for for content for a long time. Uh, thanks for joining us. Another episode of the Love Sport podcast. You had Paul and John talking about all the things they love about sport and the people and everything else. You can get me on Paul underscore football on Twitter. John, you can get Atlantic Peach on Twitter. You can also get the Love Sport podcast on Facebook and also on Twitter as well. And I cannot stop saying also, so maybe I need to kickstart my also heart. This is, or was, the Love Sport Podcast.